On January 13th, the U.S. Supreme Court issued an opinion that the Sixth Circuit's stay of OSHA's COVID-19 emergency temporary standard should remain in place. The very next day, January 14th, OSHA issued against an employer a citation. It was under the general duty clause. And in it, OSHA alleged that the employer had failed to take appropriate measures to protect employees from COVID-19. We're going to discuss this case and what it means for you, the employer community, on this, the February 16th, 2022 episode of the OSHA 3030. Well, welcome everyone to the OSHA 3030. I'm Manish Rath, and I'm a an OSHA law attorney at the law firm Keller and Heckman right here in Washington, DC. You can learn more about me by checking out our bios on uh, our website, khlaw.com. I want to really skip ahead of that and, and go to introducing my friend and colleague here at Keller and Heckman, whom I'm fortunate to be joined by today, uh, Taylor Johnson, who is an attorney here in our uh, law firm's OSHA Law Practice Group. Taylor, thank you very much for joining us today on the OSHA 3030. Pleasure to be here as always, Manish. Well, Taylor, we've got a big topic today. That's right. And so here's what we're going to talk about. First, uh, a quick catch up on the Supreme Court's decision uh, staying OSHA's COVID-19 ETS. Uh, this was the topic of last month's OSHA 3030. So if you missed it, please go to our website and check it out. A second, we'll go into the OSHA inspection at Sano America Inc. and what OSHA alleged. Third, we'll give you a quick refresher on the four elements of the general duty clause. Uh, fourth, we'll talk about OSHA's proposed abatements. Uh, this is where the story really gets interesting. And then we'll wrap it up with practical takeaway action items for you to bring back to your workplace. And Taylor, I know you remember, but for our members of the OSHA 3030 community, remember that this is a recorded live webinar. And it's recorded so that we can rebroadcast it as a podcast. And it's also as a video with the slides uh, housed on our website as well as on YouTube. So after we're done today, we'll turn off the recordings and go into a session we call Off the Record just for participants of our live webinar today. We gave an opportunity to pre-submit questions and we'll go ahead and select a few and chat about those. And anyone who wants to use the chat function as well can try and submit a question if we have time. We'll handle one or two of those as well. So why don't we get into the case against Sano America? Sure, Manish. And first, what we're going to do is just give a quick review of the Supreme Court's uh, per curiam decision uh, regarding the COVID-19 ETS. And so what the Supreme Court said in this decision is that there should be a stay while the Sixth Circuit decides the matter uh, because the petitioners are likely to prevail. Right. The court made two or three really important points in its opinion. First, the Supreme Court noted that this proposed emergency temporary standard is no ordinary exercise of agency power. It, the court noted that this would require vaccination for some 84 million American workers. And the court said that when there's a agency uh, action that constitutes a, an issue of vast economic or political significance, 
the court will expect to see evidence that Congress has spoken clearly when authorizing the agency to do so. In this particular case, the Supreme Court noted in its opinion that it did not see sufficient statutory evidence in the OSH Act that Congress had intended to grant OSHA such broad, wide-sweeping powers as the ones that the agency was trying to appropriate to itself in the COVID-19 emergency temporary standard. So this idea that the court expects for such broad and uh, widespread uh, issues of economic and political significance to, to be clearly enunciated by Congress is now known as the major questions doctrine. And it, it's uh, expressed in several prior Supreme Court decisions and the court applied this major questions doctrine in this case. That's right, Manish. And second, the court also noted that the OSH Act empowers OSHA to set workplace standards, uh, not broad public health measures. Uh, the court found that COVID-19, although a risk that occurs in the workplace, is not a risk that is occupational in nature for most workplaces. So let's talk about the citation against Sano America. That, that describes the January 13th decision by the Supreme Court. Our story for the purpose of this episode begins in Findlay, Ohio, when an unknown source filed a complaint with the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. The complaint alleged that Sano America was ignoring government guidelines for COVID-19 exposure mitigation and that it was not enforcing its own policies, policies like distancing and mask usage. What followed Monish was an OSHA compliance officer conducted an on-site inspection. At the time of the inspection, there had been 65 positive cases. Over the next three weeks, there were 23 more positive cases at the worksite. And as time went on, five people were hospitalized with COVID cases. And in fact, uh, two individuals passed away. Uh, the compliance officer claimed that one of those fatalities was due to COVID-19 that was in fact work-related. So Taylor, at the end of that inspection, OSHA issued a citation. And in the citation, OSHA alleged, first, that Sano America had not enforced its own corporate developed COVID-19 prevention policy. Second, OSHA alleged that the employees were expected to work and congregate in close proximity, or there was observations that employees had worked and congregated in close proximity that employees had worked without face coverings or not covering both uh, face coverings that were not covering both the mouth and the nose. And OSHA alleged that Sano America had failed to identify and inform those employees who were exposed employees and remove them from the work site. And that that thereby exposed or potentially exposed potentially unvaccinated employees. That's right, Manish. And before we move forward, uh, one important fact to point out here is that OSHA conducted its inspection uh, starting on August 12th, uh, 2021. However, it did not conclude its inspection until January 10th of the next year, 2022. It concluded its inspection, Taylor, as you say, on January 10th, and it issued a citation on January 14th, one day after the Supreme Court issued its opinion, casting doubt that the agency had the authority to regulate this as a workplace hazard. 
So the timing of this whole storyline is exceptional in two ways. First, the fact that the citation was issued one day after the Supreme Court decision is not likely to be coincidental. Second, the extraordinary timing that it took, the length of time that it took for for the inspection, where the inspection was uh, commenced after a complaint on August 12th of 2021, and the inspection was concluded on January 10th, some almost six months later, is exceptional without question. An, an inspection that takes that long for the question of COVID-19 transmission uh, mitigation practices uh, seems to me to be difficult to explain. Uh, so, so what explains the length of time for which the inspection remained open and then was finally only closed on the eve of the Supreme Court decision, resulting in a citation the very day after the decision was issued? It's important to remember, by the way, that this was a citation that was issued under the general duty clause. And as we've addressed many times in previous episodes of the OSHA 3030, uh, the general duty clause is a, is a heightened standard for OSHA. If, if OSHA issues a citation under a published standard, then it has a lower bar to establish a violation. And if OSHA alleges a violation of the general duty clause, it has a higher bar to meet to prove a violation of the general duty clause. There's, there's really four elements that OSHA has to prove in that event. Well, that's right, Vanish. And so we'll go into those four elements now. And so with an allegation of a violation of a general duty, OSHA must show, one, that an employee was exposed to a hazard, uh, two, that the alleged hazard was recognized by the employer, uh, or that it was recognized by the industry. Right, Taylor. And the other two elements are that the employer has to, that OSHA has to establish that the alleged hazard actually caused or was likely to cause death or serious physical harm. And then finally, OSHA has to establish that there is a feasible method that exists to correct the alleged hazard. Uh, so uh, if OSHA cannot establish all four of these elements, then it has failed to prove that a general duty clause violation exists. And Manish, you know, perhaps as interesting as the fact that OSHA issued a citation for COVID-19 transmission, as you mentioned, the day after the Supreme Court issued its opinion, uh, casting doubt on the agency's authority to do so, uh, is a specific proposed abatement that OSHA required of SANO. Uh, in the citation, OSHA identified seven abatement steps uh, that it asserted would be feasible and acceptable to OSHA. That's right, Taylor. And as you mentioned, uh, at the beginning, this is really, I think, where the case is of great interest to us, as well as to the listening members of the OSHA 3030 community. So I think we should spend some time going into, when you look at the citation against Santa America, uh, I've outlined some of the allegations against Santa, but then it identifies proposed abatements. And to understand what OSHA thinks that Santa America should be doing to abate this alleged hazard is a really telling story of what OSHA thinks employers should be doing. Um, and, and try, as we listen to this, to compare that against those four elements of the general duty clause that OSHA has to establish. I think that they, they go crosswise against each other. The first is that OSHA suggested that SANO could periodically review case rates in the community and conduct a hazard assessment to identify employee behaviors that could increase risks for transmission. I suppose the term periodically in the citation against Sano modified both reviewing case rates periodically 
and community case rates and periodically conducting a hazard assessment to identify employee behaviors. In the citation, however, OSHA offered no help to SANO with the important part of how to accomplish this. Once SANO reviews the community case rates, for example, what should be done with that data? If case rates are declining, and indeed we've put the chart up here, you'll see that in Findlay, Ohio, the case rates are in decline. If case rates are declining or low, could SANO abandon some of its mitigation efforts? That's right. And another question is, you know, should additional mitigations be introduced above a certain case rate level? That's a good point. And what are the case rate thresholds below which or above which uh, an employer is triggered uh, to a duty to take some kind of action, some intervention? What data pool would suffice as reliable indicia of community case rates? And why are we looking at community case rates? Well, how do you define the community? Exactly. You know, would disease rates be a sufficient proxy uh, for a hazard, even if you know, the disease rate was relatively high, but the hospital, uh, hospitalizations and deaths were close to or at zero? And that's a good point, Taylor. Indeed, we're seeing that in many communities that case rates have been high, but hospitalizations and deaths have gone down, perhaps because of the proliferation of vaccinations. Nevertheless, and some people opine that Omicron has that somewhat milder effect than Delta variant. Uh, nevertheless, the idea that OSHA has clearly stated in the citation against Santa America that it should be looking at community case rates, not community hospitalizations or community deaths, uh, suggests that any case, howsoever mild, would be uh, an indication to OSHA that an employer should be taking interventions. And that I don't know is if that position is well supported by the science. So for the second proposed abatement, OSHA proposed that SANO reevaluate existing procedures and retrain the workforce as necessary or when deficiencies in the program are noted. Right, Taylor, yet the compliance officer noted that SANO did have a training program. Yeah, that's exactly right, Manish. And while you know, I question the effect that reevaluating existing procedures would have on transmission rates, I think OSHA has to specify the frequency. Now, how frequently should an employer reevaluate its policy and retrain employees on a safety protocol? Uh, this was about a year old for SANO, so, so fairly recently. Right. And, and when you look at a standard from an industry standard or an agency standard, they're not reevaluating it with any degree of frequency. If the standard is sound, it should be something that the company can continue to rely on. So without knowing how frequently this reevaluation must take place, how can OSHA establish that prima facie element that you and I were talking about, Taylor, that there exists a feasible means of abatement? That's a great point. So third, OSHA cited SANO for failing to identify and remove people with exposure, uh, and it recommended as an abatement that SANO implement contract, uh, contact tracing to ensure that employees who worked near a positive case uh, should be encouraged to quarantine and should be excluded from the facility until they meet the CDC guidelines for return to work. And Taylor, this proposed abatement should be gravely concerning to employers uh, because employers have privacy restrictions that they have to grapple with when they're expected to conduct contact tracing. Contact tracing is a concept that properly belongs with public health agencies. It is a public health agency activity or function, and it is not an employer function. 
And this raises the question that the Supreme Court asked, where they asked if if the Occupational Safety and Health Administration truly has this mandate to step into the out of its own bounds and into the bounds of public health. And I think that that's an important thing to consider when you look at this particular proposed abatement. Yeah, that's right, Manish. It's very concerning. And also, you know, excluding a worker from the workplace is, is achievable, but you know, encouraging employees to quarantine is, is unrealistic. You know, employees will stay out of work, but they are, they're unlikely to quarantine. And it's unfair to put the employer, Taylor, in that position of trying to figure out whether they do or don't. It's just not something employers are equipped to do. It, it is, as the uh, petitioners before the Supreme Court had argued, it is a misappropriating the employer as a proxy for a government function. And yet OSHA was silent when it asked that employers uh, keep employees out of work. It was silent on who would pay for that time spent at home. If it's the worker, OSHA certainly hasn't been very helpful in explaining how that worker is supposed to handle the financially devastating decision by the employer to isolate them from the workplace. Fourth, OSHA recommended that SANO screen employees for COVID-19 exposure and symptoms. Well, I have to acknowledge the importance of pre-shift screening of uh, symptoms. Uh, I think that if there's only one thing that an employer continues to do, at least at the time for the time being, as part of its COVID-19 mitigation strategy, I would suggest that it starts with symptom screening. And there, there are certainly many other steps that can be taken uh, economically, efficiently, and practically uh, that will, will have some mitigative effect. And that, that will depend community to community uh, and the background circumstances. But this is, uh, this is a step that I think an employer could easily take to protect the employer's own uh, exposure profile for liability. Uh, I, I do question the utility of voluntary self-symptom reporting or self-reporting of symptoms with respect especially to a disease like COVID-19 where the, there's a latency and onset of a symptom manifestation of three, maybe as long as seven days. But, but I do see the absence of this specific protocol of symptom screening as making it a lot more difficult for an employer to, to make a compelling case that it was taking the subject seriously, protect, trying to protect employees, and was sincerely invested in the safety and health of its workers. Agreed, Manish. And, and also, you know, another irreducible step for now is employers should isolate from the workplace any employee who is a confirmed case or who is symptomatic. Now, and this step cannot be done effectively unless the employer is rigorous with, with the symptom screening process, like you mentioned. That's right. And I want to distinguish, Taylor, the importance of considering sending somebody home, isolating them if they are either a confirmed case or positive uh, versus the, the subject we talked about before, which is contact tracing for exposed employees, meaning somebody who worked near somebody who might have symptoms or might have a confirmed positive case. Uh, and I think you're right. The isolating of a person who is a confirmed case and sending them home is certainly a sound practice for, for that employee and for the employees around them. Number five, OSHA recommended following federal agency guidelines. Right. And this continues to make sense as well, because once, for example, the Centers for Disease Control has issued guidelines and they're in effect, uh, an employer is going to uh, have to make a decision whether to comply with those recommendations or 
uh, to to accept some risk that an allegation, as in some of the cases we've talked about in prior episodes of the Ocean 3030, an allegation that if you didn't even follow the the uh, CDC guidelines, then then you're culpable for some kind of so some kind of outcome that might might ensue like an outbreak or a large number of cases, positive cases. That's right, Manish. And sixth, uh, OSHA proposed the installation of barriers, uh, use of face masks, and physical distancing. Well, Taylor, I think these measures could be effective if they are feasible and that uh, there's a, a large fraction of the workforce that's in compliance. I do, however, doubt that OSHA can make a case under the general duty clause where it can show that there's feasibility in enforcing to 100% compliance for physical distancing and for proper constant mask usage. That is to say, employees and their behavior are inherently to some extent outside of the control of the employer. The employer can monitor, the employer can correct, remind, even reprimand, but there will always be at some time some employee who's doing something that is outside of the observation of supervisorial staff. And so this idea that, that OSHA has implied in its citation against SANO that there were some cases of improper mask usage is inherently uh, going to undermine OSHA's ability to show feasibility because they're implying that, that, that abatement would be 100% compliance with distancing and proper constant mask usage. And I just... Uh, don't believe that they can make that case. Exactly. It, you know, it's difficult for any employer to reach 100% enforcement. And so I, I, I don't see how a court could agree you know, that the general duty clause is appropriate here. Yeah, that's a good point. It may be a completely miss, uh, a complete misuse of the general duty clause itself. I'm glad you said that, Taylor. So, well, as we always do, let's, we should wrap this up with a, uh, a section on what employers should do. What are the takeaway items? Where do we go as an employer community from here in light of the Supreme Court case? And then more uh, significantly, perhaps more perplexingly, in light of the fact that the very next day, OSHA seems to have communicated through the citation against Santa America that it has no interest in applying the Supreme Court's reasoning, even if it has to live with the Supreme Court's, the specifics of the Supreme Court's order, granting the stay the petitioner sought from the Sixth Circuit. Uh, the, final, the final abatement measure before we get into that section, uh, I should mention, is that OSHA proposed a suggestion that the employer should facilitate vaccination by providing time off to employees to get vaccinated. And here, recollect that the Supreme Court specifically cast doubt on the agency's authority with respect to vaccination. That's right, Manish. You know, I understand that this abatement proposal is to encourage uh, or facilitate vaccination, whereas you know, the ETS would have required either vaccination or mandatory weekly testing. However, the Supreme Court's reasoning would apply to both facilitating and requiring vaccination. The, the, the court said that the vaccination affects an employee at home or at work and outside of work. And the court certainly cast doubt that the agency had such broad authority. That's right. That's a good point, Taylor. And so the reasoning the Supreme Court used was reasoning that would also prohibit the agency from using the general duty clause in such a way that the agency can assert that an appropriate abatement would be to facilitate vaccination. And I agree with you. The, when you say that it's not enough for the agency to simply say, well, we're only, require, we're only expecting you to facilitate vaccination. You don't have to require it. 
Uh, I agree with you that that's, that's not a difference that has any distinction of meaning. Uh, the problem with the proposed abatement is that even just the mere act of facilitating vaccination by providing paid time off, which is what they said in the abatement uh, proposal, that would exceed the agency's authority because a paid leave for those who vaccinate is nothing more than the inverse of a financial penalty for those who either elect not to vaccinate or are unable to vaccinate. And so for that reason, I believe that there's not much difference of any significance between this facilitate vaccination by providing paid time off and the act that the Supreme Court specifically said OSHA does not have the right to engage in, which is requiring vaccination or weekly testing. Okay, so as I had uh, suggested, we should walk away, before we leave, we should walk away with a discussion of what employers should do and provide the OSHA 3030 community with some, some takeaway items. Uh, Taylor, what are your thoughts? Sure, I mean, first, just to note, you know, these, these takeaway items are certainly applicable now, uh, but, but may change rapidly as community circumstances uh, you know, continue to change. Um, but I think the first one is, is that symptom screening still looks like it has a, a protective value, uh, at least for the employer. And second, that, that isolating confirmed positive cases uh, and persons who report symptoms uh, also seems to be you know, best practice moving forward here. Yeah, I think that's right, Taylor. Those are two simple, efficient steps that employers can engage in to protect the workforce. And I think a third one would be to the extent that the CDC is continuing to recommend mask usage and physical distancing that I think employers are, are in a dilemma at that stage to, as to whether or not to comply with the CDC guidelines or not, and thereby accept some, some limited exposure to themselves for deciding and uh, deliberately, intentionally electing not to conform to CDC guidance for that time. And we, we think that this is a guidance that's going to change pretty rapidly. We've seen at the state and local level, mask requirements for indoor public spaces are falling one by one, even states like California are imminently going to drop those uh, requirements or have already done so. And, uh, and I think that the other thing I'd say is when you, when you as an employer have a mask or distancing policy, it's important to have supervisorial staff conduct rounds and monitor for uh, compliance by, by the staff and to make a record, quick note, maybe on a chart of any time that a verbal reminder was provided. I don't propose that this rise to the level of disciplinary conduct unless it's deliberate, repetitive, et cetera. Uh, but, but certainly to record verbal reminders where you tell people, hey, make sure you pull your mask up over your nose or hey, you don't have your mask on. That way you've created the record that, of what your efforts have been to comply. Taylor, I think the last thing I'd say is that OSHA has issued a citation and one of the first things it said was that in its allegation of violations was that Santa America had failed to comply with its own COVID mitigation policy. And OSHA doesn't have the authority or right to enforce a private corporate policy. Uh, it, it is appropriating Santa America's uh, internal COVID policy as a standard because its own standard has been struck by the Supreme Court. And I think that that, that needs to be pushed back on. Uh, indeed, I would suggest that, that the policy itself is something that an employer may decide to set a higher bar than, than an existing standard. And that's good, but it doesn't make it enforceable by the agency. 
but, but the action item I would say for employers is to go back through your policy as some of these requirements or guidance guidances uh, starts to be withdrawn by various agencies and make sure you eliminate them from your own policy or else you'll have to deal with OSHA's self-perception that it has the ability to enforce things that are in your policy that may merely be remnants from when they were part of a agency guidance. That's a great point, Manish. And uh, looks like you got the last word today. Okay, so uh, it's not often, but I'm, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, well, Taylor, as you know, th th this is a, a wrap on, on this OSHA 3030, but as you know, all of our prior OSHA 3030s, as well as this episode, are stored on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. Um, and so remember to check those out. There's a lot of prior episodes that are still of tremendous relevance and instructive value for members of OSHA 3030 community. Uh, We'll rebroadcast this episode as we have for the past many years uh, as a podcast. We'll also store the video and slides on, on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. And you as well can do a, a search on YouTube and find it. Uh, remember, if you have not linked in with us on LinkedIn, please uh, send out an invitation to Taylor Johnson, myself, uh, any of our OSHA team members. And, and uh, when you do listen to the podcast, the last thing I'd say is please rate or like it uh, so that others can more easily find it when they're looking for OSHA material as a podcast. Our next episode will be uh, March 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll send out an invitation uh, for, for that next episode. So remember when you get that invitation in your inbox, please, please remember to send it out to at least three others, in-house general counsel, safety and health professionals, folks in your organization and folks at organizations down the street so that we can spread the good word about the program and keep it running for, for many more years to come. Uh, with that said, thank you all. Oh, I should also point out uh, to not forget our sister programs, the TSCA 3030 and the REACH 3030, which are currently scheduled in the next episodes for March 9 and 23, and the FIFRA 3030 as well. Um, the other thing I was going to say is don't forget to, uh, to um, make sure that if your organization is responsible for TOSCA, but that's not you within your organization or reach to, to let the others in your organization know about those sister programs. Okay. Well, if you have any questions about uh, this subject that we covered today or any other uh, OSHA law question, please feel free to shoot us a call or an email at any time. Remember, we're about to go off the record, turn off the recordings, and we're going to stick around for you for a few more minutes to answer any pre-submitted questions or anything that we find in the chat box. Uh, that's it for today's OSHA 3030. I want to thank Taylor Johnson for joining us today. And I want to thank all of you, members of the OSHA 3030 community, for being a part of this program today. We look forward to seeing you again next month. And until then, stay safe.